Greetings, listeners of the podcast. This is Dan. I'm going to do another solo episode today, and it's going to be kind of a, a chowder episode, which means it's just a mix of random topics that I've wanted to talk about. And I have a list here, and I figured I would just run through them. I don't have any major plans or goals here. I just uh, figured I'd put together some kind of content. Uh, my first topic is regarding automotive maintenance, which we've talked about before on the podcast. But one thing we didn't touch very closely on is the brake fluid in your car. So it is recommended typically to change your brake fluid every two to three years, something that I didn't really know uh, until recently. And I recently changed the brake fluid in my car, which is what prompted me to want to talk about this topic. Uh, the fluid in my car was at least five years old, uh, but the previous owner had replaced it uh, pretty routinely as recommended. So I had probably five or six years on the brake fluid, and uh, I had some new brake fluid to compare it to. And the old brake fluid was notably darker than the old brake fluid, and there were lots of particulates and black flakes and flecks and things in the fluid reservoir, which of course is not something you want because that can build up and plug, and then you have decreased brake performance, which of course can become a safety hazard. So um, I was able to use a, a pressure pump system with a catch can that allowed me to change the fluid by myself. I just put the car up on stands. I took off all, all four wheels and then um, added some fluid to a essentially a reservoir, a, an external reservoir with a manual pump on it to pump up pressure and it has a little pressure gauge. So once you remove the old fluid from the car reservoir, you can screw a cap onto the car reservoir, pump up the pressure from your external reservoir up to about 20 PSI, and then that forces new brake fluid through the whole system. And then you just go to each of the calipers and bleed off the old fluid. So it was actually pretty easy. The hardest part was just getting the car up on stands and getting all the wheels off and everything. The process of, of uh, swapping fluid was quite easy with that apparatus. If you don't have that apparatus, you probably need another person or just buy a brake bleeding kit. Um, I think they're typically less than $100, and... Um, it's definitely worthwhile if you're going to try to do that yourself. But uh, the reason why you want to change your brake fluid, uh, for obvious safety reasons, um, is that brake fluid is hygroscopic, uh, which means that it naturally kind of attracts and wicks in moisture from the environment. So what that can do is accelerate oxidation and corrosion um, within your braking system. So that can affect your uh, calipers, it can cause the pistons to seize, and 
cause any other steel components or, or rubbers maybe to, to corrode or degrade faster. So, and like I said, I noticed that there were black flecks and darkened uh, signs in the old fluid, which indicates that it's probably causing some kind of degradation in the system which of course is not good. So um, if you have an older car, it's probably a good idea to replace the rubber brake hoses that go between the hard lines and your calipers at each of the wheels um, and also change out your fluid. Don't forget it because um, that will, you know, possibly save your life one day. Uh, also like uh, automatic transmission fluid, I mean, that's like, it's like your engine oil. It lasts a little bit longer. Uh, there's typically less wear, but uh, still something you should definitely keep an eye on and have checked or replaced every once in a while, every few years. And same for power steering fluid if your car has a hydraulic steering system. Uh, moving on to other topics... I wanted to briefly touch base on audio cables. This is not something that we covered in the earlier uh, music playback series, but that this is something that I've done quite a bit of learning and experimentation with that I think people should be aware of. So what are audio cables? What am I talking about? That is essentially the the flexible conductors that you put in between audio components. So whether that's a computer, CD player, amplifier, receiver, speakers, or just power to the wall, whatever it is, those cables will make a difference in the sound that you hear. Now, whether or not you'll be able to notice it or how much of a difference those cables will make is very dependent on you and your system. So I'm not going to tell you to replace all of your cables if you're happy with the way your system sounds. But again, if you're interested in experimenting and uh, tinkering with an audio system, you might try swap swapping out some cables just to see how it affects things. So I've done this with power cables, I've done this with analog signal cables, I've done this with speaker cables, I've done this with digital signal cables, which is pretty much all of your major audio cables. Um, and what I've found is that all of them make a difference in sound, but to varying degrees. Um, if I were to rank them by scale of impact, I would probably go um, speaker cables and analog interconnect signal cables. So that's like RCA or XLR cables. Those two make the most difference in my experience. Um, slightly below that, I would say is digital signal cables, like a USB cable or a uh, SPDIF coaxial cable. And then Below that, I would put uh, power cables. 
Power cables, I think, make the least noticeable difference, but still not zero. So I started experimenting with cables with my my uh, digital to analog converter that I use with my PC, which is where I store all my music files. So I tried using different USB cables between my computer and my DAC that is the same unit as my headphone amplifier. So I could have everything constant uh, other than the USB cable when I switch it out. And I was quite surprised to notice a difference by changing the USB cable. Um, and I spent, I think it was about $50 for an upgraded, you know, audio grade USB cable. So, um, I wasn't expecting a lot, and that's why I didn't spend the multiple hundreds of dollars you can spend on an audio USB cable, but I did notice a difference, and it was a positive change in my mind. I also tried a USB noise filter device. It's something that you just plug into the USB port on your computer, and then you plug your USB cable into the noise filter. And it's called the AudioQuest Jitterbug. And it's just a passive noise filter. It doesn't do, it doesn't do any kind of regeneration or signal, uh, you know, tampering or anything like that. It's just a passive noise filter. And what I noticed from that was definitely less pronounced than from the change of the USB cable itself. Again, it was a positive change, but it's probably my least value-added change I've made to this computer desktop headphone system. What I heard was slightly better imaging, and what I mean by that is the, the audio images in my head are more clearly focused and defined based on the sound that I heard. And also, just slightly better, like, nuance and texture to some of, like, the background sounds. One key example is, like, uh, when I'm listening to a Jackson Brown album. There are some songs that will have Jackson Brown singing and uh, backup vocalists uh, singing with him, other vocals behind him. And sometimes... Jackson Brown's voice and the backup singer's voice kind of meld together and it's hard to say it, it's hard to tell who's singing what but what I noticed with these upgrades was that it's much easier to notice the difference between those two and much easier to isolate them in your head of being like okay this is what Jackson Brown is sounding like and this is what the backup vocalist is sounding like I enjoy that. I enjoy getting more resolution and more detail out of my music, so I have kept those upgrades. One upgrade I did not keep was a uh, upgraded power cable for my DAC slash headphone amp. Um, my headphone amp slash DAC has a standard IEC 
uh, power connector on it so I can just swap out the cable with whatever I want. I got a 14 gauge shielded Pangea cable uh, and I tried that for a little while. What I noticed was I'm gonna say slightly slightly better detail and focus on certain sounds but it actually changed kind of the frequency tilt. It made the higher frequencies seem slightly more apparent and the low frequencies seem slightly less apparent. Now my headphone amp, I liked the way it sounded before and I didn't really need it to be any brighter. Um, so I didn't want those frequencies to change, but their apparent change caused me to not really continue using that cable for this piece of equipment. And that's another thing that I want to stress is if you do decide to experiment with these techniques and cables and trying different things, try it on multiple pieces of equipment and you might notice that it has more effect on certain pieces of equipment or you might like it better on other pieces of equipment. So that was kind of my first foray into messing with audio cables. Uh, next, I started messing with RCA analog signal cables. Again, those are, I think, some of the most impactful changes you can make to an audio system. Um, I went from just a cheap, like, you know, included in the box RCA cable to a actual um, shielded, it's actually a RG6 coaxial cable uh, with like a foamed um, insulator on the inside between the two poles and multiple layers of shielding. It's a much nicer, more robust cable. And what I didn't realize I was missing with the old you know, included in a box cables was pretty much all of the low frequency. Almost all of that low frequency information was being attenuated with the small cheap cable. Once I went with a more robust and well-designed signal cable that immediately brought out so much more just frequency range it was amazing to me how much how much I was losing with the old cables. And that's one key thing about cables is it's not about what it's adding. It's about what it's not taking away from the signal. Don't expect it to add something to equipment that doesn't have any more to add. That's just not what a cable can do. It can only transmit a signal with as, as little loss as possible. So that's what you're really going for, is a more perfect way to transmit a signal or power. Uh, for speaker cables, I actually made my own speaker cables. What I had been using before was just your standard... Uh, two-wire uh, clear jacketed speaker cable. I believe it was like 16 or 14 gauge, and it's just a zip cord of standard two-conductor wire. And uh, it sounded 
fine enough. I mean, we've been using that kind of stuff for 50 years in Hi-Fi. But um, what I did was I got a couple spools of single conductor, um, so just hookup wire, 16-gauge wire that's all insulated and everything. And I actually did a quad braid. So I had two times 16 gauge conductors for the positive and two times 16 gauge for the negative. And then I braided them together. And what that is supposed to do or intended to do is reduce the amount of electromagnetic or radio frequency uh, interference in the cable because of the pattern uh, it's more likely to not be affected by that electromagnetic interference uh, because the wires are crossing at more of a perpendicular direction. Wires pick up interference when the electromagnetic field is, is parallel to their direction. When the electromagnetic field is perpendicular, they pick up less interference. So that is why you braid them together so that they're interlocking in close to perpendicular angles is to help avoid that. And I noticed that immediately the amplifier seemed to have more low frequency control. The bass didn't seem as flabby or floppy seemed more tight and controlled and just more enjoyable. I could tell that 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 extra conductor was allowing more power to flow through and more control to be had over the speaker drivers. So that was another positive change that I enjoyed. I'm still using my homemade speaker cables in my current system. I have tried other analog cables, analog signal cables. Um, I am currently using some cables by Moro Audio. They're an online retailer based in the U.S. I think they're in Tennessee or Kentucky or something. Um, and they just make cables and ship them out to you based on what you order from them. And their design is uh, individually insulated small conductors that they just run lots of individual conductors together. So I think I ordered their very entry-level cheapest cable, which is like um, only two conductors for positive and two conductors for negative. And as you go up their product line, they just add more conductors for each pole. And the just the rightness and realness of the timbre and texture of the music was noticeably improved compared to my RG6 coaxial cable that I was using. Now, what I'm getting at is a little bit hand-wavy, audiophile-y nonsense here. But um, if you could hear the difference for yourself, I think you would understand. So that's why I suggest just trying it for yourself. It's a little bit of money to put in or 
if you have an audiophile friend, ask them to do a listening session and compare some cables. Um, but essentially, voices sounded more real and expressive and tonally correct. Um, and I'm saying this as if I know how the artist actually sounds in real life, which oftentimes I don't. But it just seemed more correct and more enjoyable with those Morrow audio cables. So I'm, I'm still using them. I still really like them. I would suggest giving them a try if you're interested in trying out some different cables. Power cables have had a very small impact on my system, but still noticeable. It's mostly in the low frequencies that I notice a change. Um... I mentioned earlier the Pangea cable that I got that's shielded 14 gauge power cable. Uh, I tried using that on my power amplifier um, and it seemed to kind of suck out some of the bass, kind of roll off the low frequencies, which I didn't really like. So I ended up putting that on my reference digital to analog converter just because it gives it a little better sound stage and resolution. Um, but I'm currently using a 10 or 12 gauge, just straight copper, you know, off the shelf power cable with my power amplifier. And it, I, I do like it's low end a little bit better. It's a little more full bodied with the low frequencies with the bass. And I'm planning on doing some experimentation with other off the shelf, uh, power cabling. Uh, I'll probably try some 10 gauge power cable and just terminate my own connectors on there. And I'll probably try to um, roll my own with like single conductor cables um, or single conductor wires and then maybe try uh, braiding them into a cable for power. I'll try that. Um, but I haven't done that yet. But that's kind of my next phase of experimentation with cabling. And uh, part of the reason I wanted to talk about this so much was a lot of the responses I see on the internet, on Reddit, or on forums, or other places, you know, other audiophile publications out there, is so many people just completely disregard cabling as being a worthwhile component in a system. And I very much disagree with that. And I see a lot of just plainly hateful things being said online for people who pay money, well, pay lots of money for audiophile cables. And especially for digital cables where they claim, oh, it's bits are bits. You know, how can a digital cable have anything to do with data transmission quality? And I originally kind of agreed with that. But then I learned how digital signals are actually transmitted over a digital, digital cable for you know, SPDIF or USB audio. And as soon as they go to a cable, those digital signals become an analog representation of a digital signal. It's a flat-topped square wave signal that's represented in the analog domain to 
essentially transmit a digital bit. So that is why you're hearing a difference is because if the cable isn't perfect and it's rounding off those square waves or if it's causing those square waves to be slightly out of time alignment, then the decoder at the other end is taking those bits and putting them in the wrong spots or not having the right data. And it's, it's slight, but it is noticeable when you listen. So I would urge people to disregard the cable haters and just go try stuff for yourself. I will say that a lot of audiophile cable brands charge an exorbitant amount of money for the cables that they actually produce. Uh, I don't condone their business practices of claiming, you know, certain improvements for a $10,000 cable. It's just not worth it. Uh, now, will that cable be better than a $100 cable? Absolutely. But it won't be enough better to warrant that cost. And that's why I take issue with um, my AudioQuest Jitterbug my little USB noise filter thing that I mentioned earlier, it started out at $50 and then MSRP went up to $60 and I think now it's at $70. I can't imagine why they would need to increase the price on that. The demand is not nearly high enough to cause a supply shortage. Um, I don't know why they're essentially fixing the market pricing on something like that to be higher than what seems reasonable to me. So a lot of that is marketing and just the way things are for a small volume market and for companies that put in a lot of time and effort to come up with these products. So to put this to bed, cables make a difference if you're curious, try it on your own, but don't spend a ton of money. Just see what you like. That's my advice. Last but not least is kind of a rant. It's about home theater, streaming, and technology formats. So I have a home theater with a 55-inch 4K HDR TV that supports Dolby Vision and HDR10, I have a sound system that supports Dolby Atmos and 5.1s around. Not everybody has this, but for the people who do, it's a very big headache to find a streaming device that supports all of the streaming platforms that you want with those technologies that you want. So I have... A Roku Ultra. My TCL TV has a Roku built in. I have an Xbox One S. I have the new Chromecast with Google TV now that I just got. Um, and I have an older Chromecast, which I don't use anymore. But what I'm getting at is I've had to use two or three of those streaming devices to be able to get Dolby Atmos and or Dolby Vision support on all of the streaming outlets that I subscribe to. 
it's a major issue in my mind just because my new Chromecast with Google TV that I just got, which I really like, supports all of my streaming apps except for Apple TV, but I only have a handful of movies that I bought on Apple TV, so it's not a big deal. But I have issues with the Disney Plus app, the Hulu app, and the Vudu app. And those are three main streaming platforms that I want to have access to that I should have full technological benefits from. So Disney Plus supports Dolby Vision and Dolby Atmos for a lot of their content. So does my Chromecast. But when I go in the Disney Plus app on my Chromecast, it only allows me to go to HDR10, which is an inferior HDR format, and 5.1 surround without Dolby Atmos height simulation or channels. And that's really disappointing because that adds a lot to the content that's on there. It's like the, the Avengers movies, the recent Star Wars movies, the Mandalorian, all those things have that extra technology enabled and put in since, you know, recording that I can't play back unless I go to a different piece of hardware that allows me to stream it that way. Voodoo is completely broken on the new Chromecast. It only allows you to stream in HD resolution in stereo audio, which is totally unacceptable. I can't even I can't even cast anything from another device with Voodoo to my new Chromecast. So that that app just completely needs to be reworked. And Hulu for some reason only starts playing on stereo audio, even if it supports 5.1 surround sound, unless I cast from another device. It's just, it's just a mess. The only piece of streaming hardware that actually supports full Dolby Atmos and Dolby Vision support for all of the streaming apps is the Apple TV, which is also the most expensive streaming hardware and hasn't been updated in three plus years. And by that, I mean hardware updated. They're running a, a at least a three-year-old uh, chip in that Apple TV, and it's $200. The Chromecast should be able to do 90% of what I want to do for $50, but because these streaming providers haven't upgraded their apps yet, it's just... It's just annoying, and I don't understand why we're pushing towards streaming. Cable subscribers are dwindling, and these major, major telecom companies, Disney, for example, are just not really taking full responsibility for getting their product out in its best way. Why wouldn't they want to present that, that content in the way that it was recorded and intended to be watched. They're just not really handling it well. And the hardware implementations are all different, and I get that it's difficult to develop you know, a dozen different apps for a dozen different products. But, I mean, it's just, it's, it just seems like so much extra effort for the consumer 
to try to find the right hardware that supports all of their software that they want to use with all of the features at, at that time. So like I said, pretty much the only option is outdated and overpriced. So it's just kind of a mess right now. I don't like that and I hope it improves in the future. Um, I've even sent an email to Voodoo support about the issues with their Chromecast app. Um, I've seen numerous forum posts and Reddit posts about it. We know it's an issue. It's an issue for everybody. And I don't know who at Voodoo is actually going to do anything about it. So we'll see how that turns out. Uh, Hulu has always just kind of been the redheaded stepchild of the of the Disney app family. It's usually behind the times pretty far and usually has quite a few technical glitches and things like that. So we'll see how that goes. But I'm hoping Disney can kind of get their stuff together for Disney Plus at least. Um, so that, like I said, that was kind of a rant. But uh, it's just something to be aware of. If you want to put together a uh, up-to-date and the latest and greatest home theater system, that'll be something you want to do your research on and keep an eye out for, is how those streaming apps are working on different hardware at the time. With that, I think I'll stop uh, yelling at you and let you go, and I'll talk to you on the next one. Have a good one.